Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. What do you need? Don't don't hire for skills that you can have a gold star and do amazing things. But if you can, if you don't know why and you're bringing that person into this and what type of function you're le- they're leading, it's going to be horrible for them. It's going to be hard for you. So the culture to me, a lot of times is just figure out what is the winning combination. So the part of creating a winning culture is putting winning people that know that they can do that for the right role. Get a dreamer, get a doer, get a driver, wherever needed. Not if you mix that up, you're going to mess the whole culture up. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who've built award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. On today's episode, John Duesberg chats with Sangram Vadri. Sangram is a partner at GTM Partners, the consulting firm making go-to-market simple for CEOs and revenue executives, as well as co-founder of Terminus, the account-based engagement platform helping companies build pipelines and revenue. He is recognized as a marketing strategy expert and one of the top B2B influencers in the world. Sangram Vajri sits down with John to discuss creating a winning culture, empowering local leaders in a dispersed workforce, and putting the right people in the right roles for success. Let's jump into the conversation with Sangram Vajri. Over to you, John. All right, Sangram, welcome uh, to The Great Retention. I'm so excited for you to be joining us today. Man, excited about it. About time I get on the show. So this is good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've got a ton of respect for you as a leader, I appreciate that. As, a, as a friend, as a, a, a fellow uh, tech uh, B2B startup guy. So thank you again. Uh, you know, I'm so excited just to dive in. So why don't we start with the journey? Yeah. Right. And I'm going to ask you to tell us a journey in like, you know, 30, <laughs> your life in 30 seconds. Right? Oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, we're, we're here at the Atlanta Tech Village. You actually co-founded Terminus yep. here. Yeah. Right. So it's all back to your roots. These here. hallways. Right. I remember these, these hallways. hallways that we're looking at yeah. right now. The, the the rooms on the side. I was walking up here. I'm like, oh, wow. We spent a lot of grueling time That's over right. here. The, the trenches. <laughs> yes. Right? And so, you know, so just kind of give us, you know, that overview. So, you know, you started this company, Terminus. You you grew. You raised funds. Yeah. Then accelerating. And then now most recently, a pullback, yeah. right? Just from overall economic times. Yep. And then now you're you're focused on a brand new venture. So yep. I wanna I wanna hear a little bit about that too. Yeah. So Terminus really fascinating story on there. I was running marketing at Pardot and I was at Salesforce. And I remember the two co-founders, the original two co-founders of Terminus, Spet and Vass, um, they were doing a pitch at Tech Village over here. Like literally here, which is awesome, right? To yeah, have that yeah. community where you can come see different things happening. And I saw that pitch and I'm like, well, you guys are talking about it like an agency. This is a product. You should be talking about this as a product. And I thought maybe I'll become an advisor uh, to that company. Okay. And then I met Sped and Vass uh, later on. And long story short, they're like, why don't you just come in? You, you feel so strongly that this should be a product. You feel strongly about the future. Why don't you just join us? 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that was the first time. It's a big move. Yeah, right? it's like, I mean, Cardot nah, is a huge, you know, Salesforce. great brand. Yeah, yeah, Salesforce. I mean, so that's a big move. That was a big move. And I wasn't sure. I had this conversation with my wife. Uh, like, as we won, we just had our second baby. And, okay. and uh, she's like, uh, so what do you want to do? You want to leave Salesforce? have the only paying job that you have, that we have that sustains our wow. family. We just got another baby. I'm not working. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. But if I don't do this, I am going to regret. That was the conversation. And a week wow. of back and forth, uh, she was like, okay, well, you know, if, if you're going to regret, I can see this is something you really want to do. Here's the thing. And this is for every CEO listening to this, every leader listening to this. This is the best thing that happened to me to get Terminus going. And it's so important. A lot of times you talk about all the things in the business, but what really happens before the business to get to the business is the real story. Yep. So my real story really is all about what she said that night to me. She said, Sangram, I can see in your eyes that if you didn't do this, you're going to regret really bad. And I don't want 10 years, 20 years from now for you to be saying that I just wish I did it. Wow, that's powerful. And she said, but here's the thing. I'm going to go get a job because you got to pay the bills. Yeah. Like, you, you know, we're not yeah, going to make yeah. that kind of money anymore. Um, and we're going to put our second baby, our, you know, Kiara, our daughter, uh, she's just four weeks old, into a daycare because we were not ready to, to do all this. This is a big life adjustment happening at that time. But here is the bottom line. You have one year to show me this thing as legs. Wow. If you don't get Lex to this thing, you're going to go find a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so the clock is ticking. Clock is ticking. So imagine, okay. John, like I'm, I'm, I'm going and you're coming through these hallways. We're talking about tech village. You're doing all that. That's one of the reasons why we wrote the book in the first year. We did multiple conferences because I was like, there is no plan B. Like yeah. this has to work. This is my only shot. And I felt, I feel like if she wouldn't have given me the year, I would have just floundered a little bit longer. I would have done a few things, the same maybe, but but maybe taken a lot longer. Maybe things would have gone. But what's running against all of us as leaders is time. Yeah. And what she gave me the gift of making sure that this time was crunched and was clear to me from the beginning. Mm. It's like if somebody tells you, like, you're going to die in like 10 years or 10 days or 10 weeks, the perspective will do different things. Right. That's what she did. She said, you have one year of life left in your entrepreneurship. So make this work. Otherwise, you know, you're going to go back, you know, whatever you do. That is an amazing story. And it's actually a, an important reminder as an entrepreneur, just to never, you know, lose that fire, yeah, that hunger, yeah. right? It's, you know, my back is against the wall. I'm going to just claw my way no matter what, yeah. right? And and so I love that story. So yeah. Thank the, you for sharing that. Yeah. The rest of Terminus is just, we went from this this starting an early stage company to, to starting to become getting out of, kicked out of ATV because we're too big, yeah, which yeah. was like, oh, okay, that can be true too. <laughs> you can be kicked out of your own place uh, in some ways. So, so it, you know, we've grown, we have 300 plus employees over the years. And and have gone over fifty million in revenue. So that that start was the spark was that conversation wow. with my wife. Yeah. Okay. And so and then most recent, you're you're launching a new venture. Tell yeah. us just a quick high level on that. Yeah. So I uh, literally took a month. I just came back. Uh, it took a month yeah. and traveled with my family to India just to have a clean break, and it was so necessary. Like another pro tip is like yeah, take yeah. the break. Like you know, take Actually the break. Actually, take time. Yeah. Take okay. time. Like let let life pass by. You know, take a moment where life just passes you by. 
Got it. Got you, it. You don't do that enough. Yeah. Uh, I definitely didn't. And and so it's called Go to Market Partners. My third book, GTM, uh, the move, which is which is how modern companies go to market. I've been able to do that at Pardot. We did that with Terminus, and now I want to help hundreds and thousands of companies to do that because uh, that's that's ultimately what what I think is driving me right now is that okay, I did it. Do I want to start another software company to build that? I don't know. I can do that, but. I don't know if that's what's driving me. My ambition is no longer driving me to build another um, multi-million dollar, billion dollar company. My ambition is driving like, can I see and figure out a way to help this? Because it's 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 not rocket science, but there is some method, some process. And I love this quote from James Clear. You may have heard this one, where he said, where where he said that we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. Mm. So let me say that again. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level level of our systems. The reason everybody wants to be a successful company that's here right now listening, you want to be a great leader. But why is it that only a few companies or few people are able to rise to the level? Well, they don't just rise to the level of their goals. They actually have systems. They have frameworks. They have processes. They have schedules. They have rhythms that make them go there faster than anybody else. And that's what I want to spend uh, the next decade of my life. I love it. I love it, Sangram. Um, and I love the the servant heart too. It's like you've you've gathered these experiences through real life, you know, going yeah. through, you know, the ups and the downs, right? And so now you're sharing this with other other leaders. And that's part of the vision of even the great retention is to yeah. share insights, share best practices and build up a community to ultimately create a better workplace for 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 everyone. So yeah. um so love that. So so let's let's go into your experience, um, go back to Terminus around culture. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a, you know, 10, 20, 30 person company, Hey, we all see each other in the room every day to a couple hundred person company to raising tons of money. I got to feel like that, you know, that culture can evolve. It can yeah. change. So, so tell tell us a little bit about, you know, what does culture mean to you as a leader? Yeah. What does it mean? What what does it mean at Terminus? How, has that changed over time? Just any kind of overview there. I'd, I'd love to, to get your thoughts on. Yeah, you know, I had a lot of definitions of culture over the okay. years. Initially, as my entrepreneurship career started with, with Terminus, really, I felt that, well, culture is ping pong tables and you know big sofas and couches and free popcorn and cokes and and because that's what atv kind of afforded and and i never had that experience before i'm like ah that's great that's culture that there's energy there's vibe that's awesome and then you get a quarter where the numbers dip Mm. and then all of a sudden you recognize that there is only one culture that works and thrives a culture that is a winning culture the day, the quarter, the the year, you dip, the numbers dip. You find the reality of what's happening. If you're all you're winning, if you're going up into the right, things are all everybody's always happy. But all of a sudden, when a quarter dips, that's when I hit for the first time. Like, well, the ping pong table is not the culture. It might be good for people to let off some steam and have some time and right. get some creativity and relationship going. But that's not a culture. You need to create a winning culture. And winning culture always doesn't mean sales numbers. But at some point, all the other things drives back to that. 
you can't uh, it will be hard pressed to find a company that is going down and has a thriving culture where sure. everybody's happy yeah. right so you got to figure out a way what are these sequencing of things the forcing functions of, of of your company that helps you to grow if not exponentially but incrementally probably more important to keep growing than just grow up and then fall down and then go up and fall down right so Let's unpack that a little yeah. bit more. So winning culture, yeah, right? Um, and so you said it's not just about growing your quarterly sales numbers. Talk to us about how you've defined or how, how, how what the experience is for someone at Terminus to be yeah. part of a winning culture. And then, okay, you hire someone in. You know, after you know, maybe the big meeting or what? What does that culture mean to them? Yeah. How do they experience that winning culture? You know, the the I, I have a personal framework that 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 came about. The first time I hired a, a head of sales, I failed. And I was like, I, I thought I knew how to do it. Then I hired a head of marketing uh, to run under what everything I was doing. I failed again. I'm like, what's the problem? These people were yeah. highly recommended. They came with incredible experience. And why are they failing? Why am I failing? Really, because clearly they did well. Like what's happening over here? And the interview process was great and everything was great. And I realized that what I was trying to do was look for skill set and I wasn't looking for mindset. And so let's unpack that for, for yeah. just a second. Yeah. Um, if you have a new beginning, let's say you're building a new team. Mm. What I think at that time you need is a dreamer. Somebody who can dream up things, is not worried about chaos, is trying to figure out. It's totally cool. What you don't want is a doer who is like, okay, I need I need process. And well, you can't have a process until you have a team. You can't have a team until you figure out what you want to do. You can't right. like so all these things. So I realized that I was hiding a different mindset person, even though they had the same skill set. So I realized for the department that was starting off, I needed a dreamer. Then at some point when I hired a CS leader and then failed again, I realized that we had a five-people team. What I needed on that team was a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. So I needed a driver who could say, you know what? We have great thing. We need to we need to increase these numbers. We need to increase productivity. We need to figure out how to drive these things forward. So I needed a driver for that role. Yep. But I was hiring either a dreamer who was thinking, well, let's me change the team. The team was great. We didn't need to change the team. We need to just elevate the level of their sense of urgency for getting things done. And then there was in the engineering team, when we had the first IT lead, we recognized that we needed a doer somebody who could actually just get things done that we right. can trust they can execute and and give the product out there at the time that's needed the features and not worry and not have political stuff like just get things done yep so this idea of a dreamer to a driver really helped me and then the company we just helped a lot of people in the company you think about it is like yep. what do you need don't don't hire for skills that you can have a gold star and do amazing things but if you can if you don't know why and you're bringing that person into this and what type of function you're le they're leading it's going to be horrible for them it's going to be horrible for you so the culture to me a lot of times is just figure out what is the winning combination so the part of creating a winning culture is putting winning people that know that they can do that for the right role. Get a dreamer, get a doer, get a driver, wherever needed. Not yeah. if you mix that up, you're going to mess the whole culture up. I love it. So as a leader, I'm looking at, so skill set's one thing, but then mindset. Yeah. And But I have to match that mindset with 
I guess, the stage of where we are yep. as a company. Yep. Right? Or more importantly, at the local level in that team. Okay. Because if the team is well built and you don't need to have somebody re-innovate it, you don't need a dreamer. Yeah. They, the dreamer will kill the team because the dreamer will come like with new ideas like I yeah. do. I'm a dreamer. Yeah. So I'll come up with new ideas. I'll try to create new things. And they're like, we are already overworked. <laughs> we need process. <laughs> right, we need right. to do less. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't need to do more. Like, so, so you really, I felt like I failed a few times recognizing the difference between mindset and skills. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because on paper, it's like, oh yeah, I can do all of it. But when you come to the day-to-day work, it's really hard to figure that out. Yep. I love, uh, uh, it, it makes sense. Yep. I think you're right though. It's it's easier said than done, Yeah. right? Especially when you see uh, just someone who has this great experience and on, on paper, the interview process. Um, so I really, that's, that's yeah. super, super, uh, helpful, uh, Sangram. So these are all scars. These are all, yeah, yeah, and, scars. And, but it's real, it's what you've experienced. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think makes it so valuable. Right. Um, so, so let's, let's like take this even further now. Um, so, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working on building a winning culture, I'm working on, um, you know, bringing in people with the mindset that's going to fit the team at the local level. And now all of a sudden I'm in this environment where people are remote. I'm hiring people all over the country or even the world. Yep. You know, hey, we've got some hybrid, but, you know, I'm not, I don't see people any, like I used to, right? Yeah. So what's your experience been with the hybrid remote work, the impact on culture, you know, did you guys, how did you get, is there any lessons learned from a uh, navigating that? I'd yeah. Like I'll tell you as a leader, it's a horrible thing. Like, you know, not many people say it straight up, but I'll just tell you, it's very, it's very hard because yeah. we didn't grow up like that. We didn't, we didn't imagine like that. Like I imagine the the first person who's uh, uh, someone whose first job is in a company has to be remote where he has, he or she has no cultural experience of what's yeah. going on. Like, how do you onboard that person and, and ingest the vision that yep. you would have that energy when you're talking about? the culture, about the winning the culture. culture. Yeah, right? like it's, it's yeah. so hard. It's a horrible thing for every leader. I think it's a nightmare yep. in, in many ways. And many people don't talk about it or think through or express that. And I'm like, it, just own it. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to do that as a leader. So what do you do? You have to adapt. Yeah. You have to, to figure out what is the best thing you can do, the next best thing. Because if you can't do that, then you have to figure out the next best thing. That's what we all get paid for as the leaders sure. in the organization. I think where we galvanized the organization was as we got to about 300 plus people, we're like, where are the local hubs? Where are the people right now? So we literally looked at the map of where all these people are. You know, Obviously, we have in Atlanta, but in San Francisco, we opened a London office and we have in Chicago... So we said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to force anybody to do this. Like you have to be in the office. You don't have to be in the office. We're not going to create a policy. Like that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is create an environment where people do what the best thing is, again, led by the leaders at the local level. So if you're an engineering team, you don't, most of them don't want to come to the office to do anything. So like, we're already working on the night and this and that, and that's how they work. Fine. So we created the local hub saying every six weeks or so we can have, you can have a happy hour, half day dream session where you could just come up with ideas, go whiteboard, then go to a Braves game, do something that allows them to come together in local areas. 
And that might happen with marketing, sales, and engineering, all of them coming together. Uh, sales, for example, a lot of the sales teams that we have are actually in Atlanta. They're like, okay, you like that culture where everybody's together, high-fiving as the deal closes. You want that, yeah. right, as a sales yeah. team. Okay, so at the local level, you make that decision. Two days a week or three days a week, if you want to come to the office and do that, go for it. Like, yeah. we are not going to stop you from that, but we are not also going to force you to do that. At the executive level, every six, six to seven weeks, we as an executive leader, leadership team is trying to meet somewhere, either in Atlanta or Indy or some other location. Okay. So we're just creating these environments, as we're calling it, or experiences where we're excited to go there. We're excited to come back. We can decompress. We can do everything we need to do and then go back and do the work that needs to be done remotely because that's where most of the things are happening right, right now. Right. So doing it at the local level is the key is what we're finding out. Got it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So um, I like the idea of empowering your leaders yeah. at that local level to decide, okay, what is the team? What's going to be best for the team? Right. Right. Engineering versus sales. Yeah. Like you, so like different. You right. <laughs> the, right. The, 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 here's the funny part of that, that, that thing that just made, just reminded me. I remember at one point we at the terminus building over here, we had engineering and the sales team on the same floor. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk around the engineering side and it's like dim light, right. dark, <laughs> no, like you just, you see a couple of things and then a couple of like, you know, weird things uh, or in just quiet, like just yeah. dim blue light or something like that. And then you just turn around and sales, they're playing the gong music. They're <laughs> jumping up and down and they're like beating, they're doing, yeah, hey, winning Yeah. And there was like, oh, they really didn't like each other. So we had to kind of move the engineering team at a different wow. area. And yeah. so it is, it is at the local level. It is, you, you can tell people, this is what you got to do. Like, you know, that's, that's not the world we live in. It's, it's what is the best way to get the highest amount of productivity for you? That's truly the winning culture. Yep. Yeah. But still, even with the leaders, every six or so weeks, you're getting together. Yes. Okay. That yeah. is so important. Like, I, I don't know how else to do it. Like, if you don't do that, the, the challenge with Zooms and all of this is that, Every meeting is an agenda-based meeting. Right. Every meeting. Like I, nobody schedules a meeting saying, okay, I just, you know, we just, we're doing a coffee break. Like, you know, and people have tried. We have tried it. Like, hey, happy hour. Yeah. People are like, okay, 5 p.m. after all the day of being on the Zoom. I, do I don't want to be on that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I, I don't want to drink and look at a Zoom screen. Like yeah. that's the last thing I want to do. I get do. it. So we all have tried and tried to adapt it. And it comes down to now, let's just... Meet people when we are already create forcing functions where people actually want to engage and and let them do the best work they want to do at the local level because that's really what the value and the winning culture thrives from. Yep. No, that's great, great singer. So, so um, one other area I wanna I wanna dig in while while I got you here yeah. is uh, the big the big buzzword the great resignation. Yes. Okay. Um, and I. I believe that even when you have changes in, you know, the economic environment, the idea of keeping your good people doesn't change. Yeah. Right. And, and pro probably even more important yeah. uh, in times of uncertainty. Right. So what's your experience been with the Great Resignation? Has this had an impact? Um, you know, has it had an impact on culture? How have you guys navigated this? Huge. Okay. Huge impact. Um, I think you don't know what the culture really is until you go through something like this. Um, the economic uncertainty as COVID hit and all of those, it, it, it was painful. It has been painful for almost everybody. Yeah. And in some ways, what we learned through that is, okay, 
Some it's it's just not gonna work the way we thought it's gonna work. It's just not. Well, what I mean by that is there are certain people who are like, okay, well, I think it's time. Like some people um, chose to resign because they're like, you know what? If you're gonna have the kids home and if you're gonna do this thing, one of the spouses needs to stay at home. The great resignation, there's a big part of that actually happened because of that. Very few people, again, dig. I actually took the time to dig in the data. It's like, where is the resignation happening? So almost like 15 or 18% of the, the percentage of the resignation happened when spouses made those decisions. Like, instead of paying for daycare and do all these things, if you're going to work from home as my spouse, I need to take care of the kids. We have no choice. Yeah. We need to do that. And That's I don't want additional stress. That was really interesting to, to look at the data, too. It's real. Um, the jobs, like the fact that the job market changed uh, and we saw that, okay, now I saw, I was driving by Chick-fil-A. It's like 15 bucks an hour to flip a burger. I mean, I don't know if you got 15 bucks when I did any of that. Like it wasn't 15 bucks, it's like 15 bucks to flip a burger. So there, there's a compensation change that happened all of a sudden. We're like, okay, we are paying to get somebody. We're going to pay on on crazy amount of money and the people who are actually working the organization, they're busting their butt. They're getting a 3% increment. Right. Can't do that. So that also fueled into this great resignation in a big percentage is like, oh, this is not fair. People can see it. And yep. then you talk about the next, I, I remember one of the teams, they would openly talk about salaries. Like you and I, the generation, you know, wow. we, we don't talk about salaries as yeah. open literature. They were like, oh, we're on this one team and would openly talk about, hey, how do you, how much do you make? <laughs> I'm like, uh, wow. because there, there's no policy. Like there's, you're not going through yeah. the policy mechanism anymore. They're all, a lot of them are coming for the first time in a workforce. So they're like, oh, you make more than me? How's that work? Like, what did you do? Like, they're not talking about negotiation skills or anything. They're like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. We all should be making the same or we should be making more. So now you have these generational challenges that are happening in between organizations. This is the first time where I believe there are about five generations, up to five generations working in the same place. All the way from baby boomers to someone who's like Gen Z, Gen, Gen X. Z. Yeah. yeah. All so it's, it's really interesting because it's a different way. Yeah. And then you think about the, the 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 analog versus digital natives that people call it. Like a lot of people grew up with Google as their first thing. They're like, okay, I, I can Google thing. And some of us we were like, what? No, Google is like just came out. Like, you know, yeah. you use it later on, but they started on Google. Yeah. So there is all of this thing happening that is fueling the the great resignation that has happened. It's the percentage how people think about their life, mm. thinking about their priorities, thinking about the unfairness sometimes in the pay rates and the way people work. They, it's just the priorities have shifted in a big yeah. way. Wow. Um, that I'm, <laughs> I'm taking notes. This is, I, you know, I, I, um, you know when, you, when you stack it all together like yeah. that, um, it paints a picture, yeah. right? And so as a leader, I have to be aware of this and I have to be proactive, yep. right? And understand that, you know, that um, maybe uh, communication, how you're the experience of a baby boomer versus a Gen Z, you know, yeah. I have to account for that. Right. right? So, um, yeah, no, that's a really, really <laughs> interesting perspective, Sangram. So, so as we wrap up, you know, maybe just share two things. Mm. One is for leaders who are listening um, on the show today, um, what are maybe some practical pieces of advice that they can just go and immediately apply to their yeah. organization, right? And then secondly, you know, if I want to, you know, I think that we all want to, you know, accelerate growth and and we're in that growth mindset. Yeah. So how do I get plugged in to go to market? Yeah. Um, and so give us a little overview on that too. 
All right. So, the, so from an advice perspective, I believe we have to recognize that leadership is no longer top down. Leadership has to be at, at the local level, as we talked a couple of times, yep. at, at, and it has to be in the service of something. And if somebody leaves, it's not always your fault. It was very hard, John, for me to, to kind of rap. Like when somebody leaves, I take it personally. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, it's like, why did that person leave? Like, why did I not know that they were going through something? Or why did not I understand all? So especially if somebody that's regrettable uh, and, and they're leaving sure. uh, because of something that you could have solved or addressed that. So, but you can't control all of it. So as a leader, first, you have to just recognize that you have to give and learn to give yourself grace and, and recognize that you're not going to have all of it. Yep. The second part of that is that is you need to get proactive around it. So you need to figure out a way to get to the second, third, fourth, fifth level people and figure out what's going on. I wouldn't have known about these people talking about salaries if I'm not plugged into that level in some yep. way, shape or form, because leaders typically are way too removed. And because you're not around the water cooler anymore, you are like, you're out of the screen. You're out. You're yeah. not even in the conversation anymore. So it's very hard to understand what's going on and get a pulse of the organization that seemed to be obvious when you walk in a room full of people. Yeah. So as a leader, you have to find ways to communicate better and more and differently based on different types of people. You have to learn to understand where where majority of the people, but you can do that for everybody. So you have to start creating programs that allow the high pose, the high potential people to galvanize and come up. And that's really where you can spend time. Um, I have this this thing about like, you know, the, you know, you know, I'll just from a faith perspective, you know, you think about, you know, the, the Jesus spent most of his time with his disciples, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, so you spend the most of your time with the people that you can impact the most. So you can have the most greatest amount of impact throughout the world. So I feel as a leader, we have to figure out who are the 10 people that I need to pour into and spend time with, because that's really all like, if, if that, if, if that's your output yeah. of it, if you can figure oh, out the 10 people or 12 people or six people that you need to pour everything you got into it, because those are the people who, if you can retain, they will do the same thing for the next six, they can do the next six. And that's how you make sure that your organization actually has a winning culture. So I feel like that's really how I think about it, because you can control what, what you can. Um, that's from, great. That's yeah. great. And uh, from GDM Partners' perspective, uh, it's 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 what it is. It's to help companies go to market. There are modern ways to go to market. Some people might look at uh, product-led growth to community-led growth to category-led growth, like you guys are doing right now. You you guys are doing a phenomenal job by focusing on the main pain, being saying, "Ah, the great retention. We need great retention. That's what great companies are not made up of. Great products. They're made up of great people. Great people. Yeah. That's spirit. Like yeah. there is no company yeah. out there saying." Oh, I have the greatest products. We're going to win. No, no, no. No great product wins unless they have great people who deal with that and drive it. Yep. So I feel what you guys are onto is onto a big idea that I love the way you're going about it. Sangram, thank you. Um, this was this was an awesome conversation, full of insights, and I really appreciate you sharing with us today. On Anytime. The great Anytime. All right. That wraps up another edition of the Great Retention. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people-first business leaders. 
If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight into your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat With Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be people first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM and coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI.